Well, uh, God bless you guys. Welcome to Swerve Church once again. I'm so glad that you can join us today on this Sunday. And it's a really exciting Sunday because we're starting a brand new series. I'm really excited about this as we begin this brand new series here at the church because I think it's going to help uh, propel us into the next season of a ministry as a young church right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. There's a lot of changes going on. There's a lot of exciting things that are happening and on all that to say that, man, it's an exciting season as a young church to be able to be, uh, man, what a time to be alive and what a time to be doing what God's called us to do right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And in this series, we'll be doing something that we haven't done just yet as a young church, and that is go through an entire book of the Bible. So we'll be going through the whole book of Ephesians. We'll be spending actually the next 13 Sundays going and studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I'm really excited about this. There's a, a couple uh, benefits of studying an entire book of the Bible and expositing the way that we will. And so allow me just to real quick sh- share with you some reasons uh, why this is a good way to teach the Bible and why it's, it's so good to do that here as, as a church. Maybe you want to write this down if you want. There's no fill in the blanks for this, but it's just for our own study. Uh, here's, here's some benefits. We get to look at the book in its entirety instead of just smaller themes within a book. So we get to look at the big picture. So when we read the whole book of Ephesians, we get Paul's big picture, his big idea as to exactly what exactly he's trying to communicate to us. So we we don't just pick out smaller themes, we get the whole big picture. Uh, Here's another reason, we'll become better versed and more scripturally literate. Man, as as, as, uh, time goes on and and, and, and culture and society keeps pulling a certain direction. We, we become more and more scripturally illiterate. We don't, we don't really know like where to find a book in the Bible. Where is it? So it'll help us to become more scripturally literate. Here's another reason. It'll help you study your Bible better. So hopefully as we're expositing the scripture and we're going through the verses, it'll help you to, to study your Bible better in your own quiet time with the Lord. When you're at home and you're studying the Bible by yourself, it'll help you study the Bible better. And here's the last reason. We're forced to look at tough topics. And when you, when you go through a book of the Bible and you kind of pick and choose what you want, you can kind of skim over some of those more difficult passages that are hard um, sometimes to explain. And when we're going through a whole book of the Bible, uh, we, are, we are forced to touch those topics. And, and Ephesians definitely has no shortage of that between predestination, gender roles, and marriage and such. Ephesians goes through all that. So we're going to touch those hot button topics as we go through the book of the Bible. But I really hope that this series will help us to continue to grow into becoming a fully devoted followers of Christ. I hope that you guys individually will draw closer to Christ. You know, our uh, our desire here is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And I really hope that this series will help you take just another step closer to Jesus. But you know what else I hope kind of selfishly? That as a church, we would mature and grow as a church. You know, and during this series, I want to encourage you guys to read Ephesians. Read and reread it over and over. It's only six chapters long. So it's actually a pretty quick, uh, easy read. So familiarize yourselves with the book and read it over and over again. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you guys homework. I'm going to tell you which verses to read during the week. But in addition, we'll be posting a weekly devotional based on one of the verses in this week's passage. So we'll be posting one up. Either It'll be on the Swerve Church Facebook page, and it'll be on the Swerve Church blog. A lot of you guys don't know that the Swerve Church has a blog. It's swervechurch.com slash blog, and we put articles up there. 
And so we'll be putting these devotionals up on the Swerve Church blog, all as, as a resource for you guys during the week to help you continue to be meditating in the book of Ephesians. The point of this is to help you fall more and more in love with God, with God's Word, and to help you fall more and more in love with Jesus. You guys with me? All right, so who's ready to jump in? You guys ready to jump into the book of Ephesians? All right, I'm ready to go in. Uh, here's the first thing we got to figure out. We got to figure out who is it written by and who's it written to, right? It's a letter, and we're going to find out who it was written by and to. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your message notes, all the verses are there for you as well. And if you have your Bible app, you can definitely follow along there as well. We have, we have all the notes up on the Bible app. Alright, so here's it is. here it is, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, what we learn is that the letter was written by Paul. That's the first fill in the blank there. And you notice it was written by Paul. We see first that the author of this letter is Paul, and he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. We're going to be talking about that phrase, God's will, in just a moment. Here's what you got to know about Paul. He contributed to about a third of the New Testament, and his job was primarily to make disciples, plant churches, raise leaders, and do it again. That's his job. He's going to do those three things over and over again. He had what we would call an apostolic-type gifting. What is that? What's an apostolic type gifting? We're going to talk about that later on in Ephesians. We'll come back to that. But Paul's story is amazing because uh, right there, would you guys underline or circle or put a star? You see where it says God's will in that first verse, in, uh, in verse 1? Circle that. It says God's will. As you see, Paul's life, apart from Jesus' intervention, was on a completely different path. Because before Paul was Paul, his name was Saul. Right? He had a different name. He had a whole different purpose in life. Saul had one thing on his mind, and that was to put an end to the rapidly growing movement of Christians, of followers of Jesus. And he would stop at nothing to put an end to the followers of Jesus. He would jail them. He would torture them. He would threaten them. And you know what? There was even death. In fact, if you read in the book of Acts, they talk about the deacon named Stephen. And, he, and Saul was present at the stoning of Stephen. In fact, maybe even um, approving of it or allowing of it. So he was present at the torturing, the threatening, and the death of followers of Jesus. But then Jesus gets a hold of his life, and he's radically transformed. He goes from being a persecutor of Christians to making disciples and planting churches. Is that a crazy 180 or what? A completely opposite direction. But listen, some of you know exactly what that's like, right? Your life was a wreck before Christ. Your, your life was in destruction. You were without hope. You were, you were without life, really. And your life was heading down a path of a destruction. That is until Jesus got a hold of your life. And when Jesus got a hold of your life, you were never the same again. Others of you that are here, you may have not experienced the life-transforming power of Jesus yet. I'm so glad that you're here, by the way. But I pray that God's grace would help you come to know Him. I hope that you would come and encounter Jesus. The second part of that verse, did you guys catch it? He writes who he's writing to. He talks about that in, this, in the second part of verse 1. And the letter is written to the Christians in Ephesians. You can write that down right there. Number 2, the fill in the blank in your notes. It's written to the Christians in Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city and uh, was considered a cultural hub 
of sorts. It had a port that they used to trade back and forth with the other cities. And it had a coliseum, actually, that boasted of 25,000 seats. Here's a real cool uh, bonus for you guys. If you're reading it on the, bon- on the app and uh, you're following the plans, if you're following it through the Swerve Church event, uh, I posted a picture there. You can actually click the link and it'll show you the actual 25,000 seat coliseum in Ephesus. It's really, really cool. Uh, if you guys want to see it, it's still actually still there, still up. And you guys can see that picture. But it was a city that was estimated to have a quarter of a million people. But it was also a pagan city which had churches built for Artemis and for Diana. The church in Ephesus was more than likely planted by Paul with the help of two people named Priscilla and Aquila. And he spent a few years there before he took off. He Then he eventually writes this letter to the Christians that are reading there today. Now I want you guys to think about this. Imagine Paul starts this church, right? He's with them for a couple of years. They're doing life together. They love one another. He really cares for this church. But then he has to go on to go make more disciples and to plant. Now imagine if you're a member of that church and your founding pastor sends you, sends you a letter. How would you feel? Right? These, they, these would be taken, uh, they would have been amazed. Like, yes, this, these are the words from our founding pastor. We miss him. We love him. And this is exactly what the congregation is feeling because Paul loved this congregation dearly. Now for us, these words will also be especially relevant because Ephesus was a city much like ours. Very similar to New York City. It was extremely influential. It was rich in culture. But it also bared much resemblance with how secular and religious the city was. Christians had to battle with the influence of culture all around them. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you feel that pressure? Do you feel the pressure of culture pulling you away? Pulling you more and more away from what God would want for you, for God's best? That's what the Christians in Ephesus are feeling. And Paul is going to help assure them of their salvation. He's going to give them some practical ways to live out their faith. In fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's all about these rich theological truths of what Jesus has done and the ramifications of the gospel or receiving the gospel. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are all about how to live that out and how it lives out. So the first thing Paul is going to help the Ephesians and in turn help us do is to remember who we are. Because identity, guys, is so important. It's so important that you guys recognize who you are. What is your identity? If you're not confident in who you are, then you're going to end up living somebody else's reality of you. Do you guys understand that? If you don't understand who you are, people around you will fabricate a version of you and cause you to live it out. You'll be tempted to follow culture's pull and become someone, become who everyone else wants you to be instead of who God wants you to be. Do you guys understand that? Look at what it says in verse 3. It says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Paul begins his letter with telling us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. If you guys want to underline that right there in your notes, you can underline it. In the heavens in Christ. Now I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. I don't expect you to answer. You can answer in your minds if you want. But it's a rhetorical question. How many of us like to be blessed? Right? How many of us like to be blessed? We all enjoy a blessing, right? We like receiving gifts. We, we like money in the bank. We like margin to spend. We like to be healthy, to enjoy life. We love joy. We love laughter. We love all that stuff, right? You love blessing. But Paul says, do you know what's better? Do you recognize what's better? Spiritual blessing. And the spiritual blessing that we have in Christ is so much better. You know, everywhere that you turn around, life 
So culture tells you, no, what you need is a better car, you need a bigger house, you need better clothes, you need to look a certain way, you need to talk a certain way. Culture is always constantly pulling you to their mold of what they want you to be. But Paul is saying something different. Do you know what's better? Spiritual blessing. Beyond every physical or material blessing that you could ever hope to obtain on this side of eternity, Paul says that being in Christ is better. What we have in Christ is greater. Why? Because you can lose every other so-called blessing in an instant. But if you still have Christ, you, you still have your security, your identity, you are still complete in Christ. But if you live for the material riches of this world and you lose it all, you have no hope. You have nothing to live for. And that's why Paul says it's so much better to have these spiritual blessings. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now Paul is going to list off for us some of these spiritual blessings that we have. And, and in that, we'll also be able to see who we truly are in Christ. So Paul's going to list it off. Here are some of these spiritual blessings. And in that, you're going to see who you are in Christ. Identity is so Important. So if you guys look at your notes, it says identity statements. Okay, so we're going to look at some, we're going to make some of these identity statements and adopt uh, some of what Paul's talking about here. By the way, I apologize for talking so fast. There's just so much to say today, and I want to make sure that we finish on time, right? Well, if uh, it's going above your head, say, Danny, slow down. Okay, and I will. I'm just trying to make sure we get through these uh, 14 verses. Here's number one in your notes, you are chosen. Amen. You are chosen. Look what it says at Ephesians, in Ephesians 1.4. It says this. For he what? For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be what? To be holy and to be blameless in love before him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is so amazing. This is an amazing verse. And here's why. Because God in his sovereignty knew you before the foundation of the earth. And guess what? He chose you. You are not an afterthought. He knew you. He chose you. God chose you in Christ Jesus before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. He already knew you. We live in a world where so many people question their existence. They question their purpose. What am I here for? What, am, what, is it, what do I even live for? And many have to deal even being rejected by their family or, or their parents. Especially in a neighborhood like ours where there's so much fatherlessness and broken homes all over the place. A lot of people question this. But if you're here today and you are in Christ, guess what? You are chosen. You are chosen. And that ought to build a lot of joy into your heart, knowing that you've been chosen by God. But then Paul goes on to say that he chose you to be what? To be holy and blameless. Would you guys circle those words in your note? Circle holy, circle blameless. Do you know why this is such a big deal? Because we are not <laughs> holy and blameless. Listen, I can think of a lot of words to describe me. You know what two words don't come to mind? Holy and blameless. That's not the first two words that come to my mind when I, when I think about myself. I can think of a lot of adjectives. Those two words don't describe me. But the key words are here. Maybe you want to underline it or put a big star on top. Is that we are in Him. We are holy and blameless in Him. And then it goes on to say, in love before Him. You see, the only reason we can say that we are holy and blameless before the throne of God is because of Jesus. 
It's because of Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect and sinless life. He died the wretched death that you and I deserve. And on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. Three days later, he conquered Satan's sin and death, rising from the grave. And now for those of us that are in him, guess what? We can be holy and blameless before God's sight. Listen, not because of anything that you can do, but because of what Christ did. And now you are chosen. Here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, you are adopted. You are adopted. Look what it says in verse 5 and 6. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Have you guys ever seen the 2014 remake of uh, Annie? Have you guys seen this movie here in 2014? It came out. If you know anything about the story of Annie, you know that she was a young girl who was apparently abandoned or something by her parents, and she was left to be cared for by a wicked foster mom. Right? And in the movie, the millionaire Will Stacks, who's played by Jamie Foxx, he falls in love with this little girl. And he says, man, you know what? I, I want to adopt her. And he ends up adopting little orphan Annie. Now, once she's adopted, she's no longer abandoned. She's no longer fostered. She's no longer parentless. Now she has a family and she can be called something that perhaps she hadn't heard in a very long time, daughter. She can be called daughter. And in that, there's this wonderful picture for us that we were dead in our sin. We were absolutely dead. We were subject to God's wrath. What we deserve is God's wrath because of our sin. We were without hope and we were heading for destruction. But God, through Jesus, predestines us to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Isn't that amazing? And when Annie was adopted, she was no longer homeless, and she wasn't even poor anymore. Because instead, she instantly gets all the benefits of being wealthy. Why? Because my new daddy's wealthy. He has a home. I'm no longer homeless. I'm no longer poor. She is able to wear different clothes. She's a daughter. Not because of her own do doing, but simply because she was adopted into the family. Listen, the same thing happens to us. The verse says that God lavished His glorious grace on us. God is like the, the millionaire Will Stacks that adopts little orphan Annie. God is lavishly pouring out of His grace upon us and adopts us into the family of God through Jesus. And again, I love the fact, maybe you want to circle this in your notes, that word predestined. I love that Paul says we were predestined for this. You know why? Because it means that we weren't an afterthought. We weren't an afterthought. In the beginning of time, it wasn't Adam and Eve. They made a boo-boo and then God had to fix this huge mistake. God all along had a redemptive plan. You weren't an afterthought. You guys understand that? God had a redemptive plan all along. And guess what? It involved you. It involved me. Here's number three. If you're taking notes, you are redeemed. You are redeemed. It says it like this. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 now. You guys ready to go? 7 and 8 says this. In Him we have what? We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and all understanding. Would you guys please circle the word redemption there in your notes? I was making you guys take a lot of notes today, I know. 
And circle that word right there. It's really important. It's a word that you probably don't use in your everyday language, right? When's the last time you used redemption, right? You, usually you don't say that. But the word translated redemption is the Greek word apolytrosin. And what it literally means is buying back. Buying back from or repurchasing what was previously lost. Get this. Redemption means buying back. In there, there's this beautiful picture of Christ's blood buying back what was lost because of sin. He buys us back with His life, with His blood. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. death. The wages of sin is death. That is the price of our sin which separates us from God. But God redeems us. He buys us back through the blood of Jesus. He buys us back. He repurchases us through Jesus. Did you guys ever go out to eat with friends? You know, for dinner, some restaurant, you go, you're having fun, you're ordering the lobster, the ribs, the steak, right, the tilapia, every expensive thing on the menu. It's all laughter. It's all fun and games until the bill comes, right? And then all of a sudden, there's this awkward silence. Everybody's thinking to themselves, who is going to pay this bill, right? Who's going to pay this bill? And all of a sudden, everyone needs to go to the bathroom, right? You got I got a really important phone call. I got to go check, right? All of a sudden, you got to leave. All of a sudden, right? Well, listen, with God, there's none of that. There's none of that with God. I need you to see. I need you to understand how expensive your sin is. It's extremely expensive. It was a deadly price. But unlike your friends, Jesus didn't scramble when it was time to pick up the bill. He didn't find the nearest exit. He lovingly, he willingly, he courageously endured the cross and paid the price for you and for me. We are redeemed. Here's number four, if you're taking notes. I hope this gets you as excited as it does me. Number four, you are forgiven. He said it there in that same verse, verse seven. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. For some of us, this is the most difficult things that we can probably truly grasp our minds around of. The fact that we are forgiven of our trespasses and sin. Because Daniel, I get the whole redeemed part. Yeah, I'm predestined. He loves me, blah, blah. I get that. But this part right here is what's difficult. And some people, some people are the convincing that, that, that they're sinful. Right? They, they believe they have everything together. You ever met those people? No, I'm basically good. I don't really do anything wrong. I don't steal. I don't lie, whatever. And you have to convince them that, that they're bad. But perhaps for you, that's not the issue. You realize how sinful you are. And you recognize, no, no. That's not me. I, I get it. I sin. I recognize that I fall sore before a holy God. And you constantly beat yourself up because of it. Paul reminds us how powerful the redeeming power of Jesus' blood is. It's powerful enough to forgive us of our trespasses. All right, here's another word that you probably don't use all the time. Trespass. What is that? What are trespasses? Well, to trespass is to commit an offense against Someone to commit an offense against someone, and ultimately, whenever we sin, we commit a sin against God. We trespass against God. The major offense is against God, the God of the universe. And so, the question I have for you, especially if you struggle with this, is this here's the question How strong is your Jesus? How strong is your Jesus? Because my Jesus is strong enough, He is powerful enough. He is awesome enough to forgive me of my trespasses. He is so rich in grace that I can experience His perfect forgiveness. And even though I don't deserve it, 
My identity, guess what it is? Forgiven. I am forgiven. And guess what? So is yours. So is your. Your identity is forgiven. Let's go on to verse 9. It says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. If you're anything like me, you've asked God, why would you save such a wretched sinner like me? You ever asked that question? God, why would you save a wretched sinner like me? And Paul describes it as a mystery. You guys want to circle that word, that word mystery, because he describes it such, a, such as that. God, why would you say, save a wretch like me? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. It's part of who God is, but it's been revealed to us. Right? It's a mystery that's been revealed to us. For many, it continues to be a mystery as they yet put their faith in Christ. And if you're here and you've yet to do that, I hope that you would. So it is this mystery which has purpose in Christ, which has brought everything together in heaven and on earth. And I think as well with this passage in particular, it has an already not yet tone to it. Let me explain myself. It's kind of already not yet in the sense that we've already experienced a lot of this coming together of heaven and earth. We've been forgiven of our sins. Our sins have been wiped away. We've been made righteous. Our relationship with God is, we're, we're together. We're, we are united. We are reconciled to God because of Jesus. That's the already. But yet we continue to live in a broken and fallen world, right? And God has a plan at the right time, Paul says, to ultimately bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. Listen, at that time, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more death, no more pollution. There'll be a new heavens, a new earth. God will reign and we will be satisfied in Him. Here's number five if you're taking notes. Identity statements. You are an heir. It doesn't say hair. It says heir. You are an heir. H-E-I-R. Here's another word that you probably don't use every day. <coughs> Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12 says this. We're getting there, guys. We're getting to the end, right? In Him, we have also received an inheritance. Because, there's that word again, we were what? We were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of whose will? Not my will, His will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to His glory. Here is another amazing picture. An inheritance is what's left behind to a son or to a daughter or family member. Because of God's generous gift of Jesus, we can be called heirs. Listen, I don't have a lot of money. There's not a lot to my name. So the inheritance that my children would receive, guess what? It's not a lot of stuff. But God is so rich in mercy and He's so rich in grace that guess what? Our inheritance is great. To be called an heir of God is amazing. It also speaks to our relationship to God. Because normally an inheritance would go to who? Who would it be left to? To a son or to a daughter, right? It would be left to a child. You would leave your inheritance to your children. right? Think about the parable of the loss of the prodigal son in the book of Luke. He went to his dad. He said, dad, give me my inheritance. And he went and squandered it on wild living, Right? He wanted to live independent of his father. He got his inheritance. So for us to be heirs of God speaks to our kinship. We are children of God. 
If we are an heir of God, we are children of God. You are a son of God. Men, women, you are a daughter of God. And in turn, you have a great inheritance. Here's the last point for us today. You guys ready for this one? You are saved. You are saved. Paul says it like this in verse 13 and 14. The last two verses for today. In Him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your what? Of your salvation. salvation. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Let me help you understand this last point, okay? You are saved. If you've been in church a long time, this word may have lost its significance to you, right? Because you probably have heard it often. Oh yeah, I'm saved. Oh, get them saved. Are you saved? You, you probably heard that word over and over again. You've probably heard it so many times that you're somewhat desensitized to it. Or if you're here today and you don't go to church, right? You're not a follower of Jesus, then the word may have another significance to you. Maybe it sounds very churchy to you. And it sounds like save, or like, oh man, that's like something church people, you know, would say. Or, or perhaps because you walk around Times Square and you see those guys with the signs that say, you know, um, get saved. Or if you're not saved, you're going to hell or whatever. Have you seen those signs? Let me try to help both sides that may be in the room. Let me help you guys both understand what that means. Paul says here that when we believe, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of our salvation. That's when, that's when we were saved. In that moment, when you heard and you received the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you were saved. Saved is not a churchy word. It's not. In fact, it's the word that best describes what happens when Jesus Christ delivers us from our captivity of sin. It's the best thing you can say. That I was saved. Here's how you picture this, okay? Imagine this. It's the summertime. You guys have been going to the beach. You've been going to the pool, enjoying your summer, right? Pretend that you're not a great swimmer. You go to the beach. You go to the pool. And all of a sudden, you find yourself drifting away, and you find yourself into deeper and deeper and deeper water. You begin to fling your arms around. You begin to grasp for air. You scream for help. Help, right? Help. Now, imagine that same scenario. But this time, you have no arms to fling around. And you have no legs to push you up. And you have no voice to shout for help. You are utterly hopeless. Do you know what you need at that time? You need salvation. You need salvation. You need to be saved. I need, to, I need you to see yourself in that same exact condition spiritually. You are utterly hopeless. You are in desperate need of salvation. Listen, you are not fine. You're not okay. You are dead in your sin and you cannot save yourself. What do you need? You need salvation. Salvation can only be found in one person. What's his name? Jesus. Jesus. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. You need to get saved. You can't save yourself. Jesus Christ is the only one that can do that. Listen, if you're here today, you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, on the back of that connection card, I would love for you to check it off and make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. I'm not going to tell you to raise your hand. I'm not going to walk you to the front. We just, just want to help you take those next steps. And so if that's you, if you haven't made that decision, go ahead, click, fill that out. Stephen will let you know in just a moment where exactly to put that in. 
For the rest of us, I want you to be assured of who you are in Christ. Paul reminds us, these verses, we are chosen, we are redeemed, we are saved, we are forgiven of our trespasses. That is who you are. Would you guys join me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of who we are in you, because so often we forget. We are adopted into the family of God. We are redeemed. We are forgiven of our oh so many trespasses. We are an heir and sons and daughters of God. We're saved. Not by our own works, but by Jesus' work on the cross. And for that, Lord, we say thank you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.